Welcome to the See Different Show. My name is James Rath, and this is a place where I sit down with friends, fellow creatives, and entrepreneurs. We discuss topics within technology, entertainment, and business that roots back into the core value of accessibility. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of this podcast and how you can support, be sure to visit us at cdifferent.co. On this very first episode, I'm joined by the talented Lachi. Lachi is an award-nominated recording artist, award-winning video director, voiceover actress, model, writer, and disability inclusion advocate, whose music has debuted on national dance charts, received tens of millions of streams, been featured in TV, radio, and film, and so much more. Hey, I'm Lachi. I am a recording artist from New York City. I also work with the Grammy Advocacy Committee, advocating for artists and musicians with disabilities, I myself being legally blind. I am wearing a navy blue shirt with gold earrings and gold makeup, red lipstick, long brown hair, and gold nails. So really excited to be here. That's me in a nutshell. I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of the other things that I do. I also advocate by speaking to organizations, Fortune 500 companies, and charities on how they can be more inclusive for folks with disabilities like me. It's awesome. I, I love the image description. I always got to make sure people know my nail color because <laughs> then why do them, you know? <laughs> I guess for myself, too, if I, was, if, I, if I was to describe, I am got short-ish blonde hair. It's starting to grow back again. I'm wearing a black t-shirt. It actually has a design on it, and that is it's an eye. It's pretty minimal eye that is it's a white eye within a black t-shirt and there's actually a grayscale outline of the eyeball that's moving so it's meant to kind of give the illusion of nystagmus nice got it yeah it's actually a custom design i just got done it's technically a part of like upcoming merch i'm working on oh so, really i love yeah. it okay I, I i've been wearing a lot of logos and just like some of my favorite brands in my clo- like in, in my videos and it's time to be your Stop own promoting. brand. Showcase your own brand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. of course. Heck yeah. Uh, and I actually commissioned it from a another girl who has nystagmus. She's a graphic designer and an artist, and she's What's visually impaired. So it's like, uh, her name is Chelsea May. Perfect. I love it. So let's get into this. <laughs> Can you tell me what is your diagnosis? And if you could describe what your vision is like, how do you see? I was born with coloboma, which is a super rare retinal disease, meaning my retina didn't fully develop in fetal. And I've always had a low visual acuity just growing up forever. So I've always been legally blind. And what it is, is I have a big, large hole in between both of my eyes, along with the low vision. So I've always seen low, but more recently, over the past couple of years, I was also diagnosed with a rapidly growing keratoconus that is really sort of degrading the rest of the vision that I do have. So in my right eye, I have very unusable unusable vision in my right eye. So it's pretty much shapes and colors and darks and lights. And in my left eye, I have some usable vision. I'm able to read things if they're super large print. I'm able to get ridiculously close to my computer and see what's going on. And I try to describe it as having uncorrectably low nearsightedness, kind of like playing a video game that doesn't render when you get close. So let's say, for instance, you're playing a video game and far away is a sign, but you can't quite see it yet. And when you get a little closer, it re-renders so that you can see what it is. I look at it as it not re-rendering. So the sign always looks as if it's far away even when I do get closer. I don't know if that works, but yeah, no, that, that's people seem analogy. to be like, oh, I get it now. You mean like in Grand Theft Auto? I'm like, sure, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so that's pretty much uh, my vision in a nutshell. So again, I've always been low vision and now I'm kind of on my way to sort of no vision. Okay. So I'm I'm learning something new. You, you know about gaming. Are you into gaming? Do you, <laughs> do you game <laughs> yeah. at all? I'm not really into gaming. I'm more of a okay. solitaire on a plane type girl, but uh, <laughs> my partner games all the time. And I used to play Grand Theft Auto. And back when it was interesting and important, I used to play like the Wario and Mario and oh, all yeah. of the, you know, games. Mario's still stuff. important. 
sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the latest one had a pretty good accessibility feature where I could actually finish the very first 3D Mario game. Really? Um, that came out. Yeah, a couple years ago. It had an assist mode that had big blue arrows that pointed to exactly where you need to go. Nice. And it was a little bit more forgiving if you if you died. Oh. <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, you just died. Let's pull you back up real quick. Try that okay. again. Go give that another I'm like, go. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, but right. I'm going to check it out. You know, I, I love that analogy, though. It's always interesting to hear about how other visually impaired and blind people see. And and that's like one of the things that not many people even recognize or, or take note of when they hear about blindness or even a visual impairment. They're like, oh, wait, but you still see. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> there's the majority of it is is not visible. And so I, that's that's what I, I really like about this new wave of advocates and, and content creators who are disabled because we're really helping to share the spectrum of disability and blindness because I feel like so few people either don't pay attention or don't get to know other people who have some form of disability to, to really even know like the differences in, in how we all interact and, and see or, or, you know, hear the world. Yeah, I agree because also, I mean, I like how you mentioned this new wave a lot of the content creators that have disabilities are blind or whatever. They're having big personalities. They <laughs> are young, hip, sexy. I mean, we're coming out and we're saying, this is how it really is. Every time I speak to someone about the fact that I'm a blind musician, they're like, oh, like Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, there's such a spectrum that not enough people know about, talk about. Right. And I think that it's really important that we discuss that just because I can see doesn't mean I can't see. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And it, I mean, I recently got on TikTok and oh I just started following, though, a bunch of blind creators on there. And yeah. there's like people who I never even knew about. You know, I've mm -hmm. been in the YouTube world for a little bit. Yeah. But there are some really cool and emerging visually impaired and blind creators on TikTok who are yeah. like, yeah, and and. I, I'm like, some have already built big, massive followings. Right. I've only been on there for about two, two and a half weeks. And oh, okay. I mean, I, I've already managed to get a thousand new people, which is really cool. It's like a whole new audience that's like discovering and mm -hmm. I get to educate. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I'm educating because some of the comments I get is, is kind of, I'll explain in the video, legal blindness, the spectrum of blindness. And then I'll get on to the, here's how I play a video game. Right. And then the comment despite already giving the expectation of how and explaining it. But wait, how is he playing? He's blind. Right. Yeah. Yep. Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, how <laughs> have you been, it. how have you been um, experiencing TikTok? Just the accessibility of TikTok. Mm. Yeah. So I'm not a big fan personally, and I've, I've stayed this up. Let me rephrase this. I'm not a big fan of mobile app content creation. Okay. I like it when there are options to, manage and curate your content on desktop and that again that falls under my spectrum my how i see is i'm i'm a bit nearsighted so i can have a 27 inch 4k monitor right on mac os and zoom in and i can pretty much accommodate myself as long as my eyes are not fatigued and then i can start uploading my youtube videos i can edit my thumbnail i can edit in final cut enable things like select a speech and stuff if I do need something read aloud. Whereas on mobile, I am using voiceover a lot. And a lot of these content curation software or apps, I, I should say, is not optimized for the software like voiceover. Right. Right? Right. Or at least not well. It's like Instagram will be like, cool, let's introduce alt text. Let's introduce things like voiceover support. But then they leave out certain aspects of the app where you can kind of like, you know, upload your own things or... And it's like, it has gotten better, but it's, the issue is like, people don't realize that blind people create too. We want to take photos. We want to know what's in those photos that we're taking. So yeah, it, it's, that's sort of been, it's, it's been behind for sure when it comes to an accessible, the accessibility race, you know, exactly. it's like, well, and yeah. because, because it's so complex for me, TikTok has been sort of a love hate relationship because of the fact that it takes so much effort to create content on it. Oh, for sure. And then with TikTok, TikTok is a numbers game. So you have to post frequently. And yeah. it's just so much work. And I, I like that you bring up the word fatigue, right? It's so much effort that we 
as blind creators or creators with differing abilities that don't necessarily are not necessarily accommodated have to put into to an app that rewards constant content. And so it makes it sort of an uneven playing field of that nature. And so I'm always interested in, in just hearing people's experience specifically with TikTok and, and maybe something like Reels where there is just a need for constant movement, but just not the um, ability to kind of on go, if that's a word, if I can, if I can say that, keep up with the, the necessity of creation due to the lack of accessibility. Yeah, for me right now, what I've been kind of doing is going back into my back catalog of YouTube videos and finding things that may work on TikTok if it's re-edited a bit. And one in particular that one of my favorite videos I did was called Blind Person Answers the Web's Most Searched Questions. And it was literally like a parody wired interview that I did Okay. where I, I had a poster board. I printed out the Google autocorrect things I'm peeling to unveil. And literally the first thing is, how does a blind person read? And we realized when I unpeel it, I'm like, wait, we, we didn't think this through. Hold up. Could, could we get someone behind the camera to... And then, you know, the irony is the question is, how do you read? Right. And then I answer it kind of seriously, but then I do have some fun takes on it too. Like right. there's literally a question, how do how does a blind person drive? And I literally just said, with a few casualties. And then I just move on to the next question <laughs> really quickly. But that that kind of humor, that kind of like fast paced video kind of does well. And, and now that video is eight minutes. So I've been breaking it up into like, one or two questions is literally getting its own video. And it's like part one, part two, look forward to part four, you know, at the end of each video. And those have been getting some pretty cool responses and people seem to like that. But it's a whole new audience finding this video I made two years ago, almost three years. And it's like the questions are still relevant and, and the answers as well. But well, if you're getting those questions in the comments that go, wait, we still don't get it. Then that just shows, yeah, that the work yeah. still needs to be done. The information still needs to get out there. And TikTok is a whole new um, sector of people. It's a whole new market. It has a, a different age group and a different type of people. Like a different type yeah. of person watches TikTok than watches YouTube. And so that's I true. love that. I love that. And I think that's a good idea to sort of either A, take old content and just rehash it for the TikTok situation. Or someone else was like, you know, just record, you know, just take a Saturday and just mm -hmm. record and then just kind of put them out in little installments. So I love, I, I mean, I, you know, no, it's I'm, I'm going to try to figure it out. <laughs> I No, get on there, it, please. It, I think. Well, what's you your know, name on there? Just James Rath. Like Pretty much. I try to get that everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smart. As soon as a new platform comes, I'm, I try to be in the loop. Lucy Edwards is a YouTuber. She's amazing. So she's from the UK and she started on YouTube and her channel, you know, it, it did pretty well. She got some good numbers and stuff. However, when TikTok kind of came and she joined TikTok, that was her platform. Yeah, that yeah. was like, it worked out so well. She went from like a few tens of thousands on, on YouTube, as far as I know and, and can recall, to over a million followers on TikTok. Yeah, she's crushing it on TikTok and she's, yeah. she's so fun. Oh, she's amazing. And uh, just the whole thing about, you know, blind makeup, mm -hmm. people are just so blown away. They're like, uh huh? <laughs> you know, their whole jaw goes down to their lap. And so I love that she just explains it in such a way that anybody can understand. And exactly. you walk away feeling like, oh, okay, huh. You know, and so I love that she's able to, because I'll sit there and try to explain it. And I'm talking in circles and I'm like, but don't you? And then, so I love how she just kind of succincts it. No, absolutely. Definitely get on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. a little bit more about what you do. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, back to me. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. No, this is about you. This isn't a. We'll get Lucy on here another time for sure. <laughs> I'd love to chat with her. Right. How did you come about finding your passion and talent for music? And this is something you've been practicing for for a long time, and obviously have made a career out of it. So I started out knowing that I really had a passion for music at a super young age. The first time I played a keyboard, I discovered the chord, just the three note chord. And I've been sort of chasing chords and melodies ever since. I'd make my stuffed animals sit in a circle and sing the songs that I would create. They were pretty good. There was some That's issues nice. with the alto section, but they, sure. and so I was always just, music was always my thing. I wasn't from a musical family or anything of that nature, but I just really delved in. And then when I went to college, I would do this thing called piano nights every Saturday where I'd play the piano in my dorm room and then folks would congregate 
from frat guys to just couples coming back from a late party. And then those nights got so popular that it would just be like huge crowds every Saturday. Finally, people were like, why are you just playing for us? You should really get out there and do this for real. And I remember going to my counselor and going like, hey, what classes should I take? I mean, I want to move to New York to do music. So what should I do? And he was just like, move to New York. So I did. And that was really the beginning of my journey towards this whole thing. And I mean, I started out just collecting a day job and figuring out, you know, what do I do? You know, being blind, I got to make sure I have a fallback. And my parents really encouraged me to make sure I had a fallback. Then I just was like, I can't live this double life. Like I'm obviously too large for this desk. And that was kind of all she wrote. I got signed to my first major deal, which was an imprint of EMI after going to a South by Southwest random South by Southwest foray that I went with a friend and we just okay. started playing guitar in bars. We weren't really invited. <laughs> we just was like, Hey, everyone <laughs> listen to us. And I had, broke in. Yeah. I had written to Party a bunch crashes. of record labels. Yeah. I wrote to a bunch of record labels and I was like, Hey, I'm going to be a South by Southwest. Don't ask me how I got your email, but if you want to check me out, I'm going to be bum rushing these three bars. And uh, funnily enough, one showed up and that was all she wrote. That's amazing. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. See, and it's just like putting in the effort, taking a few risks, right? Like you're, you're going to know your answer if you don't do it. Yes. Because it's, it's a no, but yeah, I love that. I absolutely just love hearing about that. You're willing to put down some security and, and you know, it doesn't work out for everyone for sure, but some people also don't put 110% in, right? They're dead set on dropping a little bit of security and just thinking it's going to work out. But it, it, it's, you still, you put in that effort, you still played, you made that trip. Tell me a little bit, like, how did that happen? Like, did they find you after you performed or did you meet up with them beforehand? And, and yeah, like, how did you even know where to find them in that bar afterwards? Actually, so we performed and it's, it's interesting. The friend that I performed with was also blind. So okay. we were going around saying, Hey, we're a couple of blind musicians, just singing songs. Hope you guys enjoy. And the agent actually came to us after the performance and said, I love what you're doing. Here's my card. When we get back to New York, cause you know, South by is in Texas. Yeah. When we get back to New York, give me a call. And of course, you know, we, we do that as soon as we get back. And when we first had the first meeting with him, I was like, where did you, how did you find us? He's like, you sent me an email, right? Didn't you want me to, I was like, you got it from <laughs> one of the random emails I sent. <laughs> I felt like half of them bounced back, you know? Like, oh so he had come up to us and he had said, I love what you're doing. I love everything about you. Contact us. And so we did. Amazing. That's so cool. Like what, what a story. Yeah. I, and stuff like that just doesn't happen. You know, it's that age old nineties, eighties sort of Christina Aguilera in a hotel room, just getting discovered kind of thing. But is it really though? I mean, I did write to them. We did go down. And so there are some, and then my sort of platform was relatively set up too. So if they Googled me, I did have things going on. I was doing my own independent music at the time. I had a Facebook and Instagram, you know, I had things going on. And so it wasn't so like, I'm going to make you a star. It was like, I love what you're doing. And I see that you're out here. So what year was this that, that you got the, this meeting? The first, it was like 2010. Okay. So that's right when I really started doing things. So I had things out from like two years before when I was still sort of doing my piano nights, I was putting those out as videos. You know, I had a lot of little things going on. Right. So. Were you ever on MySpace music? Um, MySpace was a little before <laughs> me. I didn't <laughs> gotcha. wasn't really like, I wasn't really huge on the MySpace uptake. So. I loved MySpace. Yes. I'm, I'm digging up some old, gosh, someone's going to find it. But I, I, I was on MySpace early. Okay. I don't think I can get in trouble for saying this anymore because I'm pretty sure Tom doesn't care. But <laughs> I was nine when I made my MySpace. Okay. All my cousins were older. They were all like, you know, teenagers. They were cool, hip. I'm like, I want to I wanna be like, you know, I love technology. I'm on YouTube early. My uncle 
you know, main account for me and everything. Yeah, let, let's check out this MySpace thing. Yeah, oh my, I was learning like the HTML and everything. But then like MySpace music, I thought was such a cool platform. And what a way for like independent artists to get, you know, their music. I still follow a couple like independent artists today that I discovered through MySpace music. People just having their songs as like their profile song. Like you could go to their page. Now this, you know, it's not, it's definitely not a way to do web design in 2020 and yeah. 2021. But yeah, you could have like all these fancy effects and it, it definitely slowed down a lot of those early computers. But yeah, MySpace music, what an interesting, yeah. we've come a long way. So the thing I like about MySpace too, and I wasn't really into MySpace, but I love the fact that it was so music forward and artist forward. Mm -hmm. And as you can see, YouTube and Facebook are just figuring out the whole music thing. YouTube was just a couple years ago. Facebook is what, 2020, it started launching yeah. the Facebook music situation and MySpace had it right from the get. And music was really literally discovered and driven through MySpace. And so MySpace was, and you know, another, another thing that MySpace really got right was community. It yeah, really got that correct. sense of community right. And so not a, no one else is really getting it right like that, especially in terms of music. So I will give MySpace, it, old, early MySpace, it's yeah. kudos. Before it got bought several times and thrown around. And it had an ad problem, though, for sure. Too many ads. Way too many. That's always what kills these apps, right? As yeah. soon as it just gets over added. It definitely did. And I think Facebook came in and was like, hey, we're, here's a clean user interface. It's very minimal. And this is before Facebook tried to do absolutely anything and everything. But they did one thing, the news feed and adding friends, and they did it well. And then, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is today. And I can't even. I, I'm, I, I'm not ADD it, enough to be able to keep up with I, Facebook. Yeah, I know. I don't even know if anyone uses half the services that they offer. It's too much. I don't even know if I – yeah, I couldn't even find half them. I feel like they're so buried. Yeah, but. <laughs> but one thing that Facebook is really good at is ads. That's one thing I have found. True. Like they're better. And it's because they're blended in well. They're blended the, in well, and you can you can advertise your music better right. on you know Facebook than on Spotify. You can advertise your you know you can just advertise different things on Facebook pretty well. So yeah. Facebook figured, and I mean that's a double edged sword, right? It's like it's so good at ads because it has everyone's information. So. <laughs> that too, and then you know if you man, I'm not the biggest fan of their page management, right? It's like people follow you, but then it's like unless you pay, you know, to have your post seen, only like one two thirds of your following will actually be delivered your post. Yeah, so it's it's. It's a little all over the place. Unless, obviously, I think, like, people are willing to share it and share it and share it, then it spreads. But, yeah, they really they really want you to, to pay to... I mean, there are ways to sort of hack grow. growth by just sort of getting your, you know, letting your fans know when you have a yeah. new thing. You know, little things like that. I know Clubhouse has been a great growth hack for me. And so, yeah. I just there's so many other platforms that you can use to drive traffic back, so... I definitely want to talk about Clubhouse and social media in a little bit here. Going back to your music, though. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your your sound and, and the inspiration behind it? I've heard some of your, your songs, and it's really cool. I love the EDM scene, and, and some of your collaborations are really neat. But, yeah, tell me a little bit just about your sound and, and where that that comes from. Yeah, I, you know, early on I did sort of a more pop situation, and then I transformed to a little more of an urban situation, and then I found myself settling in EDM, dance, trance, house, and I found the most comfort in EDM music, and I'll just say EDM as a blanket term to encompass trance, house, and all of that nature, but most of my friends and most of the folks in the genres would hate me for saying that. But I, I found the most comfort there because when I was singing sort of alternative pop, which I gathered because I was raised in like upstate New York and things of that sort, I just, it just wasn't me, right? Like not to be funny, but like it was a little too white for me. And then when I started sort of doing the more urban situation, because I ended up getting signed to a more urban manager who was like, oh, you're Alicia Keys. We're going to totally make you R&B. It was just a little too R&B for me. Like, I wasn't that either. And then when I found myself in dance, I realized I could, in that genre, because it's so much more focused on the music than it is on, you know, sort of the vanity, the looks, and the numbers, 
I found myself very comfortable just writing whatever I wanted to write, talking about whatever I wanted to talk about, whether I was talking about deep things that were on my mind or just being cheeky and fun. I found the most comfort in EDM. So that's where I settled. And one of the places within EDM that I'm doing really well is trance. I did a collaboration with Marcus Schultz, who's a pretty heavy hitter in trance, and our song got heavily supported and remixed by tons of DJs, including Armin Van Buren, who's a huge, huge heavyweight out here. And I don't know when this is going to air, but I will say I'm actually coming out with a tune May 14th with a guy named Fisherman, a DJ named Fisherman, trance guy. Really, really good song. He's a great DJ. And it's just, the trance community is so positive, I think is yeah. the best word, and super accepting. And you go to a trance show and you're, you just, you feel the love. And I, I really enjoy the community. And so that's why I kind of stuck with it. There's also other communities like the drum and bass community, Liquicity being a huge label out in drum and bass. And I had the pleasure of working with Matic, who's one of the largest names in drum and bass. And yet again, another great community. Everyone knows each other <laughs> in these in these genres. So it's really it's really such a positive, like supportive place to be. And so I, you know, I could I stayed and never left. And when I started awesome. getting to a point where people are like, you know, seeking, let's do a song with Lachi, and you know, being sought after is mm -hmm. um, such a great thing. And one of the best things to me about it is that because I bring such a different perspective to the table, I'm not your run-of-the-mill, hi, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm not your everyday, like, girl-next-door average chick. And right. because I bring such a different perspective, I think that's what draws a lot of folks to collaborating with me. Well, yeah, speaking of that, what is your favorite collaboration? Because almost every song that I come across with you is some form of collaboration community. Like obviously like you, you have like your own and stuff, but yeah, there, there's a lot of releases with other artists. And I think that's just so cool. It's such a cool collaborative medium. Yeah. I, I really love to collaborate with other artists because I feel like we're having a conversation and we're saying a message together and it just makes it so much stronger. So I love to collaborate and not only with just people here in the States. I really love international collaborations. I've collaborated with, ooh, what's his name? I, I've i collaborated with Zafrir Ifrak, who is a DJ okay. from out in Israel. That YouTube video that we did has over probably 1.5 million views by now. Wow. And yeah, and we did that just a couple years ago, and that was such a great collaboration. I've collaborated with a producer named... I'm so bad at names. I collaborated with a, a producer named Jumper Kilu from mm -hmm. Uganda. And so I'm loving my international collaborations. In fact, we just did, last year we did a song through Sony's Hub, which is a record label out in Brazil. Okay. So we got this song out in Brazil that I did with a producer named Reznikov, who is Russian. Yeah. And so we put it out in Brazil. I mean, there's just so much international <laughs> collaboration when it comes to EDM. I would say one of my favorite collaborations, I already mentioned the Marcus Schultz collaboration. We did a song called Far. That song blew up. A lot of folks who know me in trance know me specifically for that song. And another collaboration I've done was the collaboration where I, I co-wrote a song with Snoop Dogg, which was great. So many people I asked saw that. So many people ask, like, how was it working with Snoop Dogg? You know, it's, you know how it goes. It's managers meet, labels and agents get together, and, and they, they put you together. And it's not a matter of me, like, looking Snoop Dogg up in the phone book and calling him up. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's another sort of notable collaboration. Do you have any accessibility best practices for people who are working in the music industry and that can, whether it's to make collaboration more accessible for you or to just make their content more accessible? Anything you recommend? Well, one of the things that I try to recommend to folks is A, always understand and, and do your best to accommodate the needs of the individual, the individual you're working with. So if someone lets you know, hey, I have uh, 
a certain issue or a certain thing that I need or a certain thing that I want, make that effort to accommodate. Because firstly, that individual went through a lot to be able to get to the point where they're okay to just let you know that. And we don't want every step of our life to be some big hurdle for advocacy. Let's just tell you and you just do it. And if for whatever reason you're unsure, uncertain, or you feel uncomfortable, or you want to make assumptions, you really just want to ask the person. So if someone says, hey, I have a disability or I'm blind, but I would still love to work with you, don't be afraid to ask the person what they need. And don't feel like it has to be uncomfortable. If you feel uncomfortable, it might make everything uncomfortable. So I would say just ask the person what they need and do your best to accommodate them. Outside of that, little things that you can do to help make your app or your situation more accessible would be to do something as simple as alt tags on your flyers, on your photos. Because if you want folks to check out your event or if you want folks to be able to sort of navigate your website, having alt tags is a game changer. And I only say that because they're not an end all be all, but it allows from zero to something in terms of being able to use your app or to navigate your website. For it's venue, inviting. Yeah. It's also very inviting. Yeah. It's an, it says I care. <laughs> it says I thought exactly. about you. Another thing that is also super helpful is if, if you're a venue, read the writer and abide by the writer as much as you can. And if you cannot, let us know. Don't say that you can or don't say that you will and you're not able to. It's okay if you can't. Just let us know so that we can either make ulterior arrangements or perhaps we won't be able to play your venue, which is also fine. But you have to let us know. You have to abide by the writer. That being said, make your venues more accessible. <laughs> and I don't just mean adding a ramp. Whenever someone says make yeah. a venue more accessible, people go, oh, we'll slap on a ramp. No, accessibility does not only pertain to folks who use wheelchairs. It also pertains to folks who are visually impaired. It also pertains to folks who are hearing impaired, who may have different neurodiversities. There are a lot of different ways that you can make your venue accessible. It's not just a ramp on the outside, it's also the venue inside. Accessible bathrooms, if you're a two-story venue, having elevators. Anyway, I don't wanna to go too high on my soapbox regarding- No, you're, you're absolutely right. Venue accessibility, but, but as yeah. a musician, we have to deal with this every day, uh, well, when we're touring. And mm -hmm. one of the things that gets me the most riled up is hearing how folks have to cancel parts of their tour that they've already spent thousands of dollars promoting because when they get to the venue, it's not accessible, not only for their fans, but for them, the performer. And it's, it's, it's unacceptable. Coming from the other side of it too, as a fan or as a listener or audience member, I want to make sure it's also accessible on my end. You know, tickets go fast. That's the thing. It's like, if, if there's an artist I want to see, I probably have to get that ticket immediately, but I don't even know if I'm going to be able to enjoy that experience. And then that's when I'm like contacting the venue even after I bought the ticket because now the ticket's already sold out. And I'm like, oh, oh, you guys can't have like a, an accessible viewing area. Well, darn. Okay. Oh, I, I can't even the, at the most, I can't even bring a magnifier or like, you know, binocular or something with me just so I can like, you know, part of it is seeing the performance, right? It's like an art, you know, music is very much the sound is part of that experience. And, and as a blind person, I can really enjoy that live experience. But sometimes there are some artists who, who do have visual elements of their performance for sure, right? And being able to just enjoy that a little bit more, if I have some remaining vision, like 85% of us who are still considered legally or registered blind, we can still see something and we might want to get the most out of that, you know, as we can. But if there are barriers in the actual venue, then yeah, it doesn't do much. I know a lot of the times I go to venues, they'll like, oh, do you want to be in? Another thing is like most people are standing, pushing, you know, sh like I'm, I'm already very fragile in that, in that experience or crowd. Like I ain't trying to like slip or fall or, you know, people get a little, riled up and that's fine but having like an accessible viewing box or, or area right i think is 
beyond obviously like wheelchair uh, accessibility. And what you're saying is not that complicated for folks to implement like no. at all. It really isn't. No. You know what I mean? Like it's not that yeah. complicated for folks to implement. And I mean, you touched on a few things. Like, first of all, site accessibility, we're trying to get yeah. tickets. And the reason it takes so long is because your site's not accessible. Number one, number two, which and you reminded me of this very sad thing that happened to me was I went to a Broadway show and I was so oh. excited because I was like, yay, I'm in a Broadway show. And I told them that I had a visual impairment and that I might need to use my monocular to see the event. And I got in trouble, I got removed twice. And I had to argue that I'm using a monocular to see because they, you know, they assume it's a recording device or they're trying to figure out what, and I I went back in and I guess they, after halftime, switched their staff or something, and then again got ushered out. And so it's just like, and I'm missing part of of the play. Yeah. So things like that. And, and were audio descriptions offered for that? Because I know not always, but sometimes. For that particular one, no, it yeah. was not. But there are, you're right, the there are. And there are some movie theaters that offer it. And there are right. some movie well, theaters. That's a whole other issue. And I, my next next podcast, <laughs> quick plug, is with an audio describer, a voice over artist. And pretty excited for that. But we're, we're going to be talking about a lot of the process and then anyway you, but yeah you, movie who, theaters who is the who is the audio describer roy roy samuelson i love roy samuelson he's amazing he's such a his energy is so great right he's great he he's such an advocate he, he's such a man of integrity and and he's a good this one this is about you this is your hour oh okay <laughs> i'm like you're talking about all my friends it's just a very small community and you know i i think but not really i but we all somehow cross yeah you know well i mean when it comes to like the creator space we all know each other exactly well okay let's talk on that a little bit creator space clubhouse hmm. you've been pretty active on clubhouse yes i've heard you know, partaking in, in a few of your your, your shows or, or I don't even know what they're calling them, discussions, live phone calls, group calls, panels. Yeah. yeah it, it's really, Clubhouse is interesting for anyone who isn't in the club yet, because technically it is kind of exclusive. And, and it's I think they're trying, one, it's marketing hype, two, it's, they can kind of figure out their tone, their culture a little bit and like moderation and all that. So there's a few, I think, things I get why it's it's a little closed right now. However, you can just get an invite from someone who has uh, access to that, and then you're in. Uh, Clubhouse is cool. The way I've described it is that it is a live, always ongoing hub of conventions and and panels and discussions. And that's how people treat it. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. People just have just rooms to chat with everyone. And, and, you know, they're typically kind of small, but you'll have like 30 people on the stage just like talking. And that's quite a wild room to just like, that's more of a dinner party kind of setting, I, I think. Many people use it as a way to network and, and to share what they're doing in a really more engaging way, which, you know, you can directly talk with your audience directly and bring them up to talk back to you. So it's really cool. How have you been u- utilizing that platform? And what can people expect if they listen to you on it? So the the platform for me has been uh, sort of a, a love dislove relationship, but mainly love. And, okay. and I've met some of the, in fact, everyone that we've mentioned here today, I met Roy Samuelson through clubhouse. And I also met Lucy Edwards through uh, a connection on clubhouse as well. So yeah. I've been on clubhouse since I believe since December of 2020. And since then, it's just been sort of an upward trajectory of meeting new people, finding uh, new ways to promote myself, but really to promote the fact that I'm a blind creator. And the the reason I say that it's been a love-dislove relationship is because the love comes from the fact that I can reach so many more people that are really doing big things that I wouldn't have had any other way to reach or have known if it wasn't for Clubhouse. Like we discussed earlier, every platform has its different audience and its different sort of people that use it. And Clubhouse's audience is very heavy on creators, networkers, people out here doing things and moving. And so when you meet somebody on here, a lot of the times they're ready to do something with you. And that makes it really explosive. (laughs) Right. um, In a great way. 
A bit of pressure, though, right? So that was the dislove that I was going to talk to you about. Okay. So there is a lot of sort of pressure to kind of perform. Yeah, there is a lot of, do you bring value? If you don't bring value, then we need to, yeah, like we need to move <laughs> along. But not really. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it depends on what you're trying to do. So for me, and early yeah. on when I was getting on there, I didn't know my place. I didn't know what my sort of tagline was. I didn't know what I was trying to sell. Because you really have to be promoting something to be there. And when I realized, hey, you know, I can speak to the disability community. And as you know, I have a room that I do on Thursdays called Blindside, where I talk to the blind community. But I found my growth is when I'm speaking to folks outside of the blind and disability community about my experience. Because yeah. for whatever reason, no matter what room I go into, it's always their first time hearing about it. <laughs> it's always their first no, time meeting is. a yeah. blind person. And... <laughs> I feel like I'm just teaching people and it's, it, it's not, it's the questions are always the same and I've learned to no longer be super like annoyed by them because right. it's ignorance, right? And it's okay, especially if you want to learn and you don't want to be kind of a jerk, right? And so I've really been enjoying teaching. I mean, but at the same time, I am sort of accomplished in music. I do have sort of a rap sheet already. So when mm -hmm. I come in and say, hey, I'm blind, folks go, but you're you've won awards now tell me how to do that so i do and you know With there, my voice yeah exactly <laughs> there is sort of a positive and negative to that right because a lot of folks walk away with the thought of oh wow she's blind and could do it i could do it too sort of that sort of inspirational exploitative <laughs> yeah the thing that will get this explicit <laughs> yeah right but okay. i will say Honestly, I believe that that's, a, from my experience, that is actually a much smaller percent because I'm not just, I, not to toot my own horn, but the things I've done are amazing regardless. It's not like, oh, wow, she brushed her teeth and she's blind. That's amazing. It's like, these are the a million things I've done. Here's my whole rap sheet. Sit down and listen. Yeah. And so folks listen. And that's what Clubhouse is really, that type of person is what Clubhouse is really for. If you can teach someone something new, if you can expose them to something that they weren't exposed to, they want to sit down and learn and know. And that's that's how I've been using Clubhouse. Amazing. Yeah, I, I think there's been such a gravitational pull of Clubhouse with the blind community because it's a lot easier to communicate. It's a lot easier for us to uh, share ideas and, and network and, and meet each other, which I think is really cool because before it's like, you know, we can use a keyboard. Yes. Uh, screen readers exist and, and zoom magnification exists, but it is more effort for us to have a conversation when it's text-based because we are relaying it through a voice, you know, or braille display or where in real time for us can just be, a place like Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces or whatever Facebook's working on, which I probably never will touch that, never want to. But uh, <laughs> they can, yeah, in real time, all your conversations are now used for our data. Right, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, Not well, the, you know, it isn't already, but... It is already, uh, and who, there's rumors about Clubhouse doing similar things. Uh, what are you going to do? The government owns everything. So. <laughs> you got to monetize anything and everything. Data, it, data is not guaranteed anymore. No, your, it your is privacy, definitely not. But yeah, I, I think there's such a such a great purpose for the blind community to be on these sorts of platforms. Now, of course, I'm a big advocate for make sure there are auto transcriptions because you know that's what's possible in real time at the moment. Twitter Spaces is experimenting with that. It's not perfect. In fact, I remember there was a deaf advocate. His name is Liam. Let me let me pull this up real quick. But yeah, so Liam was apparently sharing that he was doing a Twitter Spaces and. He was saying a word specifically. I think he was saying, oh, yeah, I, you know, forgot you or, or oh, sorry, I forgot your name, you know, and it kept changing forgot or something to an explicit F word. Which and, explicit and so, F word? <laughs> yeah. So then anyone else who couldn't hear or was deaf or hard of hearing, you know, or maybe it was just listening. Muted. I don't know, you know, or just reading the transcript. It just looked like this dude was going off on someone else, you know, and it wasn't anything to, you know to do with that. So, you know, that's one issue where I think AI needs to sort of improve with, you know, language and all that. Liam Odell, though. Okay, um, that, yes. That, that's the name? Yes. He's amazing. He's good. Awesome. Check him. But kudos to Twitter Spaces for already kind of doing that. I mean, exactly. Clubhouse has been and around for a while and they haven't really. And Twitter Spaces right. has also opened up to Android. 
Yes, yes. And Twitter Spaces is also more closed right now than Clubhouse in yes. ways. Yes. Uh, you can join people who already have them open and be an audience or, or promoted as a speaker, but you can't start your own spaces or, or stage until like Twitter specifically gives you that, that ability. Do you, do you have, are you able to open a space? I do. Yeah. I, I haven't done it yet. I, I want to, I'm just trying to find like a good time to do it. Well, and, let me and, know when you, when you're opening one, I'll, I'll I've let's been, do it. I've been known to, so my, persona i suppose on twitter spaces is definitely different than clubhouse on twitter okay. spaces i can just be my goofy little self right you already have that following i already have that following so i'm out here just being super goofy and obnoxious and a lot of fun <laughs> whereas on clubhouse you know you you have to bring so much value so yeah. i and i and listen i love clubhouse for it to be honest i mean i've gotten some amazing opportunities through clubhouse so i'm not gonna knock clubhouse but you know it is definitely a different environment it's definitely a hustle environment yeah. No, it, it is. It, it And that's another thing why you maybe don't see me as active on there is I feel like most people are getting on after their work day. Yeah. And when that's happening, I'm exhausted. You know, after working for several hours, whatever project or, or gig that I'm doing, like, I, I don't have the the energy to do that performance again. I got to do my dishes, got to take out the trash. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, it's one of those things where like I've tried and in some days I am good to do it, but man, people, people doing it like every day. Well, and, like, I mean, on I, there. You, you have to understand though, there are some folks that use it to literally get their clients. That's and so absolutely. if they don't do it, then they're not paying their rent. But then also there's a bunch of folks that I know use, you know, interns, admin assistants to be in rooms and to help you know, schedule things. And like, let's say for instance, I know some folks will use like an assistant to be in a room and then try to get on a stage. Mm -hmm. And then once they're on the stage, then the assistant <laughs> lets them know like, Hey, you're on stage, get active now. So clubhouse assistant, huh? A clubhouse intern or assistant a clubhouse intern. Right. And honestly, I'm at a point that's where I might have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, that's the thing. If it's, if the investment, like if it's bringing in work, if it's bringing in, if it's bringing money. in work, if it's bringing in the exposure in you it. need, if you're getting press or something yeah. from it, then it is. It is possible. Like for me, as a disability advocate, I'm not. I'm. I'm getting. I'm meeting a lot of really awesome people. I'm having a lot of yep. great conversations, and it is helping my profile. But it's not really giving me money. However, when I go to places to talk about my brand stuff, this is not really something I share with the disability community too much because that's. So one of the things that I also do is I help folks with their branding, their personal brand, and to find okay. what is your adversity, let's use that to shape your brand. And so yeah. I run around and I do talks on, hey, I use my blindness to up my thing. What's your blindness? And so that talk is what has really supercharged my clubhouse growth, and it gets me clients because they want me to assess their brand. And, and so that's what I use it for, to actually make something happen. However, when you see me and when most folks see me during the evening and the afternoon, like after work sort of times, you'll be seeing mm -hmm. me doing my advocacy, doing my disability work, doing my blindside rooms and things of that nature. So gotcha. it's, okay. it's a lot. It's a big, it's a lot of app. <laughs> Speaking of your advocacy work, could you tell me about some nonprofits or organizations that uh, you really support and that I should know about anyone listening or watching should know about? So one of the relatively new sort of, they've been around, but I've only begun speaking to the founder very recently is called Able Artist. And okay. Able Artist is headed by Stephen. Ooh, of course I'm going to blink on his last name right now, but we all are. <laughs> it's, it's such a great organization and it it's, he himself is a CSAC recording artist and he's a composer. And what the organization does is it, it supports and funds composers, musicians, recording artists, anything music. This foundation helps support people really trying to do big projects. So I think that mm -hmm. that is definitely one to mention. Another one I want to mention, which is not specifically to do with disability, but they help creators who are different, creators who are like women, minorities, have a disability, BIPOC, LGBTQ. They're called Fractured Atlas. 
And what they do okay. is they help fund creatives. And this is for folks in the creative space specifically. They help folks that have something different in the creative space to get funds for their projects. They help you fundraise and they also help you get sponsorships and and anything you need to get your project off the ground or if you have a full initiative or if even if you're trying to start a whole nonprofit yourself they're a yeah. great place uh, to tr- to try to get that off the ground another one I wanted to mention is dmap oof what was it dmap dmap and okay, DMAP. I am not going to be able to tell you what it stands for That's media okay. accessibility Media and accessibility is what they focus on. And they're still sort of building out what they want to do because they don't want to necessarily just focus on entertainment. They also want to focus on journalism. They want to focus on music and they want to focus on all aspects of entertainment, making it more accessible and bringing it more towards the major forefront. And some names associated are Judy Human, who everyone knows is a huge pioneer in the disability advocacy yeah. uh, community, but also Lawrence Carter Long, who is another huge voice, especially in journalism and press, as it pertains to the disability community. Those are just a few names associated with DMAP. And I myself am trying to get in with DMAP to help them with that sort of music sector of it. I haven't told anyone this yet, so this is I'm this is me okay. premiering this idea right here on this podcast. Hey, exclusive. Exclusive. One of the things that I am interested in in doing and I've been speaking with some of the folks that I just mentioned to you is I want to start an initiative really more of a a coalition of musicians and professionals in the music industries that either have a disability or have a neurodiversity to come together and really advocate. And I don't just mean making things more accessible as in, you know, brick and mortar wise, but I also mean coming together as a body and 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 talking to some other bodies, maybe legislative yeah. bodies, uh, maybe putting forth pledges that venues can sign. I want us to have mm-hmm. a, a forefront coalition that can come together with loud voices for musicians with disabilities. Guess what I want to call it? What do you want to call that? Recording artists and music professionals with disabilities, R-A-M-P-D. Right? Feels like it came to me straight from God. (laughs) Ramp. Yeah. So awesome. This is really just a sort of very nascent idea. I'm teaming up with a bunch of folks. I've, like I said, mentioned it to all the folks I mentioned to you today and everyone's super excited about it. We have some heavyweight musicians on board, which I won't mention yet because nobody, nothing has been signed, but we have a bunch of heavyweight musicians on board that are super excited about it. And I'm really hoping that it can get off the ground. One more sort of agency situation that I do want to mention before we kind of move on. In fact, two more. They are both my representatives. My manager, Ben Price, his agency is called Harborside Management, and Harborside represents musicians with disabilities. So apart from myself, he also manages Victoria Modesta and others. And he's being partly funded by the Arts Council England to help make music more accessible in the UK, or at least have that conversation. And then my agent, who I know you know, James Rath, is <laughs> Keely C. Wells. With yeah. her agency, C Talent. C Talent. C Talent. And she just got 30 mm-hmm. under 30. And I'm sitting here like, girl, go ahead. Yeah, her her agency only represents artists, athletes, influencers, and creators with disabilities. She's doing huge things. She has placements on Disney and Netflix and BBC. So I want to just throw both of those organizations out there as well. well that's amazing. And and yeah, C Talent, I am aware many of their clients, many of their, their represented talent, they're they're Amazing. So you've been involved with, was it the Grammys? Yes, the Recording Academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How and and what what impact are you having on that? Oh, I am so glad you asked that question. So the Recording <laughs> Academy, which is the entity that runs the Grammys, among other things, yeah. they also do tons of other initiatives that folks really don't know enough about. Like they run the Grammy Museum, which talks a lot about musical history and lifelong achievers and things like that. They highlight that. There's also Grammy U, which brings in okay. young, amazing musician, musical minds, producers, 
and things of that nature and really hones them and builds them up to be the next leaders in the music industry. And the Recording Academy, I, I first started out there because the label I'd been signed with was able to sort of get me, get my foot into the door there. It's actually a lot more difficult to get into the Recording Academy these days because now, I can imagine. yeah, well now you have to get recommended and you have to get two recommendations and you know somebody from the and the competition uh, is the competition you know, is is pretty stark. We can all broadcast ourselves and and you know be our own management. Yes, wow. it's very old school as well, right? So it's yeah. got it's the old way of things. So for indie artists, it's much like the Oscars, yeah. Exactly, much like the Oscars. So you kind of get it. But I, one of the things that I started really getting into over the last year was I joined the advocacy committee, which was super a big honor because you have to sort of be asked to join. It's not really something you can, you know. Okay. So I was asked to join the advocacy committee. Very honored to be a part of it, and have been working on these initiatives within the academy. I started because I got, you know into the room where it happens, I was able to start hemming and hawing and squeaking and squawking about disability and musicians and accessibility and inclusion. And, you know, being the only one really being super loud about it, folks were like, who, who is this lachy girl again? Like, what, you know, my name started kind of getting around and I found myself speaking to board members and going, hey, by the way, music needs to be more accessible. And when it comes to the Recording Academy, I'm talking more about, you know, just getting foots in the door. Why isn't there enough, you know, musicians with disabilities? Why are we afraid to disclose? I don't like that, 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 that sort of energy here. Let's make it hip and sexy to disclose. Let's make venues want to advocate for us, things of that nature. And, and the response has been so good. That's yeah. It's been very positive. And in, in fact, to the point where actually, I don't know when you're going to air this, but on April 21st, I will be paneling and moderating a discussion on advocacy, accessibility, and inclusion within the music industry. It's going to be hosted by the Grammys at the national level. We're going to be having really amazing musicians speak on accessibility and inclusion in the music industry, including Galen Lee, including one of the members of Four Will City, which is a huge hip-hop group. And also, I know that Valacia Butterfield-Jones, which is the chief officer, the chief um, diversity officer for the Grammys, will also be gracing that panel. Will that be public? Can, can we all like watch that? It will be public. It will be live. And I believe it will remain as well after it airs. And don't okay, you awesome. worry your pretty little head, James Rath. I will be promoting the <laughs> crap out of it. You'll Please see it do. everywhere. But I'm really excited about that. Well, okay. So you said what an honor for you that's been to work with the Grammys. But man, it sounds like what an honor it must be for them to have you. I know, right? Like, you're... you're, you're <laughs> right? You're, you're doing amazing things. Yeah. They need it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like, there's a certain type of person, right, that you see the most of in the yeah. Grammys, and I don't really fit any of those boxes, and I think that they want more of that. They want more females. They want more color. They want... It's time to rip those boxes off. To rip the boxes and off. They, they want young... And recycle it. You know, and recycle, recycle it, actually. of course. Throw, throw it out. <laughs> Another huge thing, though, is also ageism. There's not enough, like, younger people out here really doing things yeah. in the Grammys. And it's not that... I don't believe they're being ageist on purpose. I mean, I think they just need sure. younger, hipper people to start saying things. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they build up connections. They build up these these profiles of people that they've known for so long. And, it you know, sometimes it's never changed. Yeah. You know? But they are, they are really, I, I, I can see that they really are making an effort to be a lot more inclusive and diverse. That's for sure. Gotcha. Also, real fast, going back on the Able Artist Foundation, Stephen Letness. Yes. I don't know if I'm saying that right. That's what my computer is I think it's Letney. <laughs> okay, Letney. Something Letnies. like that. Okay, I just want to make sure we like add that in because if Steven is w listening to this for whatever reason, I, I want to make sure he's got a shout out Able Artists Foundation. Check him out. So where do you want to see yourself in five years? What, what do you want to be doing? I know that's like quite broad. It might be hard to kind of think about and narrow that down, but and it doesn't have to be everything. But what is something you would like to either accomplish or be doing actively 
that's such a it's such a funny question because I remember when I was asked a question, where do you see yourself in five to ten years? And my answer was like, oh, I want to have my own music studio and I want to have a music manager and songs out with a label and I want to have a talent agent. And then like now I have those things. So now I have to like reassess my yeah. success ladder, you know, because success is definitely you can attain it and then you're free to continue climbing up that ladder. You're always here to self-improve as long as you're at the party, keep having fun. One of the things that I really, really, really want to do is I just want to see venues be more accessible. I want it to be a thing. And I'm excited to pioneer that. Because I'm super surprised that it hasn't it hasn't really touched the forefront as a huge movement. Now there are a lot of musicians out there that are that have disabilities that are like, well, I'm not going to play venues that aren't accessible, but I want venues to want to be accessible, regardless as of whether or not a musician with a disability plays there or not. I want musicians and bands to say the same thing, that I won't perform yeah. at venues unless they're accessible. So I'm excited to push that initiative, to be at the forefront of it, but then to eventually, by five years, I want to not be pushing it anymore. I want to be on to the next Fair. thing because that's been put in place. Yeah, I think you're on the right path already. and. As a person who who's attended music festivals and concerts, like I, I just want to have a better experience. I want to, I want my money's worth. But also, I'm a big believer and promoter of accessibility benefits. Everyone, it has universal benefits. Eventually, accessible technology is adopted, or, or our infrastructure is adopted, and it's just sort of implemented in the masses. You know, look at email, look at uh, text messaging. Those were protocols that were used by and uh, engineered by a, a deaf couple. And it's just, again, audio descriptions, I think, are such a cool thing. And, and, and they're plugged. The next podcast is about audio descriptions. And we'll be exploring that. But I think they're such a cool thing because it's like, cool, yes, a blind person can now watch a cinema, uh, a movie, or, or a TV series and have that visual experience and know what's going on. You know, another thing that yeah. a lot of folks don't really mention about audio description that I just recently um, heard in a clubhouse room, actually, is that the neurodiverse can really benefit yes. from it. A lot of yeah. films have flash forwards and flashbacks, and it's very difficult sometimes to follow who the character is. If you have... Especially if it's the same actor who is just aged down or up a Who's aged bit, down know? or up, or if it's, let's say, for instance, uh, the flashback to a child actor... Mm. How sometimes you won't be able to know who, who that? that child is supposed to be portraying. One of the best experiences I ever had. Have you heard of Queen's Gambit, the chess one? Like it's no. So inform me. Queen's Gambit. Watch it with audio descriptions because watching it without audio descriptions ruins the entire thing. It's about okay. a young girl who learns how to play chess and she's just an orphan or whatever, and she eventually like starts playing chess at big tournaments, and it doesn't sound super sexy, but it's really fun. And when you watch <laughs> it, the thing that I love about it is the movie is pretty silent, but the okay. audio describer says what the chess moves are. So it's like, you know, king's rook to queen's whatever, and this and that, and, and it's just like describing chess, and I don't know anything about chess. And I'm thinking to myself, Me if neither. I turn this... Yeah, I'm like, if I turn this AD off, I'd just be sitting here just really bored. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, what are we, we're just watching someone play chess for two hours? Like, so I love that they describe what the moves are, and I learn about chess, and now I like chess, so. It's like watching competitive poker, but you're 10 years old, and your uncle's over just taking over the TV. Sorry, I'm like, flashbacks. And I'm like, what, what am I watching? What, what's, 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 what's the appeal traumas there, James. <laughs> <laughs> Lachi, you are doing some amazing things. You are really just creating a huge impact for both the music industry and, and for the blind community. And I think just as a whole, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and, and I think really helping others who are either consuming music content or uh, are, are involved in the music industry. Thank you for helping us see different. And <laughs> where can people find your work what are you currently working on? What, where can we check that out? Yeah, so people can find me anywhere, everywhere at Lachi Music. So that's L-A-C-H-I-M-U-S-I-C, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Clubhouse. 
and yeah. all sorts get of on other, Clubhouse. <laughs> get on Clubhouse. But you can also find my music, of course, on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your online music. I just recently put out a song called Higher Low with Yanetro. It's already gotten over 25,000 spins in under two weeks. So very excited about that. And Amazing. we'll be releasing another track, like I mentioned earlier, called DNA with a producer named Fisherman on May 14. Some of the things that I'm currently working on like I mentioned earlier, on April 21st, we are having our first ever talk on accessibility and inclusion in the music industry with the Recording Academy. And you're going to be able to find that on the Grammys Facebook is where you're going to be able to find that. But I'm going to give James the, the link and he'll be able to post that where he needs to. I'll definitely be sharing that on my socials. Awesome. The real thing that I want to promote is my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Music, where I am hosting my show Offbeat. A black girl going blind, just trying to stay fabulous. I talk about my journey going from low vision to no vision. Fun, amazing guests. And we're going to wrangle James to be one as well. And just my <laughs> experience down. running around New York trying to figure out how to keep up this fabulous and fierce lifestyle as I lose my vision. So definitely want to check you out there. Check me out there. And I hope to see you online. Awesome. Be sure to check out Lachi. Stream her music have it just on repeat and, and loop and, and just give it all the love that you can. It's, it's amazing. I got my HomePod mini playing her music during the day and it's, it's such a, it's, it's a good time. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope that you could hear, see something different today, whatever it might be. And we will hear you next time. Bye. Hey, James here. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of the See Different Show. Be sure to let me know what you think. I'm open to feedback and also I'm open to just learning about new people who you think should be featured on a podcast like this. At C Different Co. is our handle and that's going to be on Twitter and Instagram. And my handles are at James Rath, Twitter, Instagram, and then forward slash James Rath on YouTube. That's where I may share some highlights or at least make the announcement that C Different has its own channel at some point here in the very near future. So again, if you want to learn more about our mission and how you can support the show and just everything else that C Different is going to be doing, cdifferent.co and cdifferent.store are those URLs. Thank you so much, and I hope you can see different today.